When you think about Moses, what kind of God comes to mind? See, I think that whenever we think about uh, biblical characters, we oftentimes have some kind of picture, some kind of idea, some understanding uh, of who they are. And sometimes it's hard for us to think of them differently. So maybe when you think of Moses, uh, especially if maybe you're uh, a tad more seasoned than the rest of us, you think of Charlton Heston, right? Uh, And the Ten Commandments. And so... You think of Moses about to part the sea. This is your idea of who Moses is. Maybe if you're a tad younger, haven't been as seasoned as uh, some others, uh, maybe you go a little bit younger here to uh, the movie The Prince of Egypt, right? Uh, And this is who you think of whenever you think of Moses. However it might be, and whichever one you identify with this morning, we all have these kind of preconceived notions of who our Bible characters are. And here's the thing is that uh, Moses is indeed a hero of the faith. That's oftentimes when we think of heroes of the faith, that he is who comes to mind. We think about the fact that he spoke face to face with Pharaoh, right? That he led the people of uh, Israel out of the land of Egypt through the Red Sea on dry ground, right? We, we think about the fact that he received the Ten Commandments, Uh, from God and that he spoke to God face to face and all things these things are wonderful and true however we're thinking about Moses from the vantage and viewpoint of the end of his life and sometimes we forget the fact that Moses's life actually began with something that we would consider someone very not much a hero of the faith uh, when we really look at it and so what we're going to discover this morning is that Moses Uh, thought that he was disqualified from the call of God, and he honestly didn't want any part of it. And we're going to discover this morning what that means for us as well. So good morning. Welcome to Get Well Church. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here at our South Haven campus. Glad that you've joined us for worship, especially if you're our guest today. Uh, Glad that we have some great VBS uh, stuff going on here on stage. I think it complements my outfit very well. Uh, So maybe you'll be able to hear me better. All right. Just kidding. All right. Uh, We're in the second week of our message series this morning uh, called Justified People. And what we're looking at through the course of this summer are uh, characters from the Old Testament, their stories, and how God has taken their story and redeemed it and justified them and made them into something that they never could have been uh, on their own or ever were before. And what we're noticing is that we're not just people to God. The same God that was, old, that was at work with these Old Testament people is also at work in and through our very lives as well. And it's his grace that justifies us and redeems us. Now, this morning we're talking about Moses, uh, if you've been tuned out until now. Uh, and so if you've got a Bible or a device you read from, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. So go ahead and turn there, Exodus chapter 3. But before we uh, start reading there, uh, I want to set the scene for you of what's been going on. So at the beginning of Exodus, we find uh, the Hebrew people in the land of Egypt. At the very end of Genesis, uh, the people have left Uh, the promised land and gone down to Egypt because of a famine in the land. Uh, Now they're in uh, this land. There's a new Pharaoh at the beginning of Exodus and he remembers nothing of this guy named Joseph or does he care uh, either. And so he has enslaved the the Israelites uh, there in the land and they're being mightily oppressed. Now the Pharaoh, he's concerned about this growing number of Hebrew people. Uh, They're actually doing what God has told them to do to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, And so he actually orders that every newborn male of uh, the Israelites be killed. 
Now, God had raised up uh, wise and caring and God-fearing midwives uh, of the Hebrew uh, women. And so it just so happened that these, you know, they were just giving birth so quick they couldn't get these uh, newborn boys. Uh, one of the boys that is saved amongst these, these newborn boys is a, is a little baby named Moses. Now, you probably are familiar with this part of the story. His mother takes and places him in a basket, puts him in the Nile River, and I'm sure she prayed more than she'd ever prayed probably before, uh, that he would be saved. So it happens that Pharaoh's daughter is taking a bath and she finds this baby and raises him as it own. So Moses grows up in the palace. It's a, probably a, quite a life uh, that he's living. And one day at the age of 40, he witnesses how the Hebrew people are being treated by the Egyptians. So bad that one day he comes across an Egyptian who is beating one of the Hebrews. And so he looks both ways, Moses does, and he strikes and kills the Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. Now, Moses thinks that he's gotten away with it, uh, but all to find the next day as he's trying to break up a fight amongst two of the Israelites, they're like, oh, who are you to tell us what to do? I mean, you're going to kill us also? And then he realizes, oh, I've been found out. Well, not only had he been found out by uh, his fellow Israelites, but he's also been found out by Pharaoh, who, guess what, is ready to kill Moses. So fight or flight, what does Moses do? He tucks tail and gets out of, out of Dodge, right? He heads to the land of Midian and doesn't want to have any uh, part of this. And so Moses, he begins to settle down here. Uh, he, he hitches his wagon to this priest named Jethro. Uh, and he marries one of his daughters. And ultimately, Moses finds himself here at the beginning of chapter 3 as a shepherd, part of Jethro's flock. And y'all, life is good. He doesn't need anything else, right? But let's pick up and see what happens in the story in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. Uh, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the, seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now all of this is great, right? Uh, God is moving. God has heard the cry of his people. He's concerned, right? Uh, and now he's sending Moses to be the one to bring the people out of Egypt and into freedom. Uh, but not so fast. 
even though I think that Moses' heart would have been like, yes, Lord, you're, you're, you're answering this call. Yes, my people that I, that I care for, I'm, I'm concerned about. Yes, they're being oppressed. I'm so glad that you're moving. But maybe with somebody else. Moses didn't exactly jump on this opportunity uh, for God to use him in this way. Because instead of saying yes, Moses begins to pump the brakes. And actually, uh, what we're going to see in just a few moments is that he actually wants to forego this plan altogether and let God use someone else. And I think this is because in the background of, of what Moses is feeling is he's already got this list of reasons, right? This very long list of reasons of why he is not the man. I mean, what God is calling him to is going to call quite the man. And he doesn't quite measure up to what God is calling him to do. He thinks that he's the disqualified one, right, uh, from doing what God is planning. So in the back of his mind, Moses has all these ideas of why he's not the man. The first is, I mean, he was an orphan, right? Uh, his mom had to let him go, and, and he was raised by someone totally different. He probably felt like an imposter uh, in so many ways. He was a murderer, all right, like kind of on the list of things that we think of things that disqualify people from doing what God's called them to. Murderers probably on up there on that list, right? Uh, not only is he a murderer, but he fled being prosecuted. So, you know, he's a runaway. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that I think Moses would have been feeling and wrestling with. And this is all just Moses's life before the burning bush. All right. Uh, and so it's quite something. We, we see all of these excuses and we go, well, they're not bad excuses. They seem very real. Um, you know, it, it seems like a no-brainer for Moses that he's not the man for this job. And just to take it a step further, y'all, at this point that the burning bush happens, Moses is 80. I'm sure he's tired, okay? He's tired. He's worn out. He's been tending sheep and, and all the other things. He's probably tired, but yet God has called. God has called. So Moses, he wants to add to this list of reasons. And so we're going to talk about five more reasons that Moses gives. And the first is this, is he knows this past and he's asking this question, but who am I? So Exodus chapter three, verses 11. Uh, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then God responds, and God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now Moses, he bases his first excuse off this perception of himself. And God counters that with the promise of his presence with him and that it's through his power and his ability, God's power and ability, that all this will happen. Moses knows that he can't do this on his own. I mean, he's asking this question, but, but who am I? Uh, I'm just a shepherd. I'm just tending a flock here. I, I've got all these other things, but who am I? But God says, with my help and my presence, you can. You can. Second is that Moses replies by essentially saying like, hey, I've been gone quite a while. Like, why, why would they even believe me? And this is kind of an excuse based off that perception of what others think, okay? And it's valid. I mean, who, why would they believe Moses anyway? Uh, back in that day, people didn't really forget 
what happened. And I'm sure that they had heard about this Moses guy and all that he had done. And even if they didn't know him, they didn't know him from Adam. So why should they believe him? This is what happens in uh, verses 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, well, what is his name? Then what should I say to them? Uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, once again, Moses' excuse is met with God's response that it isn't on his authority, but it's on God's. See, they may not like or, or even know Moses, but they've been crying out, calling on God. They know the I am. They know who God is. And so it's on God's authority that Moses is being sent. Third excuse. Moses, he continues with another what if. Okay, what if they don't believe me? Verse 1 of chapter 4. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And once again, this is a very plausible uh, kind of excuse, right? Like I think that we would use this uh, quite a bit. But God gives him three signs. Three signs, I think, have two purposes. One, to remind Moses that God is in control and that God has the power, that God has the ability, and that Moses has nothing to fear. And then the second is that it should be a sign to the Israelites so that they know that God is with him. So the first sign that God gives him in the verses that follow uh, in chapter 4 is that he's to take his staff and to throw it on the ground. And so whenever he does this, God turns it into a snake. And he, you know, Moses, like any of us, starts to run away, right? Like there's a snake here. Uh, just going to let you know, there's not much faith that's required in throwing that staff down. But then God says, now I want you to pick it back up. <laughs> All right, that's a, whew, I don't know. So Moses does what God has said. He picks it back up and it turns back into a staff. Whoa. I think God's able here. But he gives him another sign. He says, now take your hand and stick it in your cloak. And whenever you pull it out, what happens? It's turned white as snow. Then God says, now take and place this back in your cloak again and pull it out. And when he does, it's perfectly healed yet again. Again. Whoa. But then God gives him a third sign. He says, go and take some of the water from the Nile and I want you to pour it out on the ground. And so Moses does so. And when he does, it turns into blood. And what God is showing Moses is, is this foreshadow of what's to come in the plagues. I mean, man, if you needed to wrestle with it, it seems like God's got it covered, right? You'd think that that was enough for Moses, but he goes on with two more excuses. And the fourth excuse is this, is that he's not eloquent. And man, we use this all the time with God, don't we? Like, I just, I don't speak that well. Let's look at the verses here. Moses said, Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. He's saying, even though you've shown up here, Lord, I'm still the same. Not much has changed. I am slow of speech and tongue. You see, for Moses, he never could have seen himself going before Pharaoh ever and being the one who out of his mouth would come the words, God has said, let my people go. Okay, he's like, I'm not your man. There's no way this ain't going to come out of this mouth. So God counters him with this in verse 11. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf 
or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So for the second time, God has told him, hey, go. Does Moses do that? Nope. So Moses, he's like, all right, I've had enough of this. Uh, We got to put an end to this. I've made up my mind. And so he gives his excuse here in verse 13. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Man, he's turned to negotiating, right? How often we say this to in our lives. Please, just, Lord, just send somebody else. Like, I want this taken care of, but, but please send somebody else. God meets him once again with another answer, and he tells him that his brother Aaron will be the one to speak with him. Friends, time after time, excuse after excuse, God meets Moses' excuses with God's answer rather than what Moses believed or perceived. And so what God is showing Moses is this, is that our list of excuses, that long list that we make all the time, it does not disqualify us from the call of God. Because here's the thing is that God is in the business of redemption. He's in the business of redemption. We make these long lists, these very long lists, y'all. I feel like I could go on hour after hour, page after page. There aren't enough legal pads in the world for all the reasons why I feel like I shouldn't do this. We think that we're disqualified from the call, our flaws, our misstep, our age, whatever it is, but God, but God. See, the fact of the matter is this, is that our redemption is not based on us anyway. For Moses, God had placed this call in his life and it was gonna be God who would redeem him. God would be the one who would work in him and through him and around him. It wasn't dependent on Moses. Moses would be this vessel by which God would speak, and oftentimes God would act through. But Moses' past and even Moses' present as he's making these excuses, it isn't defined on, on who he thought he was, all of that's being redeemed by the one and the only one who can redeem. So here's the thing is that for each of us, none of us are too far gone. None of us have too far of a checkered past. None of us are too old. None of us are too whatever we want to make an excuse for, for God to come in and do the work of redemption in our lives. See, God is writing a story in our messy and broken lives and he's working it. And he's, are we allowing him to work and write that story? Or are we going to try to dictate it on our own? Because here's the things I can tell you what, is I can tell you whose story ends up better in the end. That's not ours. We need God to come and do the work that only he can do. And so when we feel that nudge of the Holy Spirit, as we look to what is this life that God has called us to, what does he want it to look like as I walk step in step with him each and every day, we have one of two responses. We can either dismiss it and we can continue to make all these excuses that we do each and every day, or, or we can lean into it. We can answer that call. We can experience the life and the wonder of the life that he has for us, surrendered to God and surrendered to his plan. Because here's the thing is that excuses, 
can make us miss out on participating in God's amazing and awesome plan. I want you to think about some of the experiences you've had, some invitations maybe you've had in the past. Uh, I think about the fact that maybe uh, there was this time that you said yes to some kind of experience and man, it was just unforgettable, right? Uh, Maybe someone invited you to go on a vacation. Maybe it was some dinner, some very special dinner. Maybe it was a mission trip that at first you were kind of hesitant. You're like, "Ah, I don't know. But yet you said yes and you went and my gosh, it was amazing. It could be any number of things. And yet had you said no, you would have missed out on it. Moses receiving an invitation to something great and wonderful of what God was doing. He could have said no. But yet he didn't. And what we see is that throughout his story, we see the unforgettable and amazing ways that God acted in and through his story. Moses, an ordinary person, just like you and I, redeemed by God. And here's the thing. As you see, God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. I mean, think about this. God used an ordinary bush to show up in, to get Moses' attention, right? God used an ordinary staff. There was nothing special about the staff other than when God showed up, something extraordinary happened. It turned into a snake, right? And then back into a staff. Thank the Lord. God used an ordinary man, Moses, broken and full of excuses, to do extraordinary work of God. Did you know that he wants to take ordinary people like you and I, even as disqualified as we might be, and to do extraordinary things, to give us extraordinary life in Christ Jesus? Now, Moses, he didn't have the ability. I mean, he had made that abundantly clear. God, I, I, don't, I can't do this. And God wasn't surprised by that. God is God. He made Moses and he's directed Moses' life. He knows all about Moses. This doesn't surprise him. But God wanted Moses' availability. See, the point is this, is that God wants our availability more than our ability. See, our very long list, they don't disqualify us from the call that God has on our lives. He just wants us. He wants to take what we have and redeem it and work it. God wants us to surrender to him. And that through that, he's going to be the one to act. We can't muster up enough. We can't change our lives enough. We need his spirit to come and do the work that only the spirit can do. See, there's this old saying we say uh, in, in the church, and usually we equate it to church work, but, you know, God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. Well, I want you to think about it in this way. God takes that which is worthless and gives it worth. God takes that which is powerless and gives it power. That, God takes that which is available and gives it purpose and meaning and redemption. See, it's not our power, but it's the power and ability and faithfulness of God. We're always going to miss the mark on our own. We're never going to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. And we'll always miss out if we continue to make excuses. God's calling us to lean on him, to rely on his power, on his faithfulness instead of our own. And here's the thing is this idea of availability 
y'all, we are so busy. Let's just have a conversation about this for just a second. And I, I'm not trying to generalize everything we do as like, man, it's just worthless, has no meaning. I don't know why we're spending so much time on all these things. But I do want us to be serious that, y'all, we are so tired, so spread thin, so worn out, so busy that when we do get the call of God, we have no space, no availability, no a bandwidth in our brain to even comprehend what he's calling us to. And so what we've got to do is we need to stop. We need to ask the Lord, come, search me, know me, point out this way, help me see what are my priorities? Where do I need to let some things fall to the side? Lord, so that I can make myself available to you. God, I, I'm not able and all this busyness that sometimes I bring myself to, I, I'm not going to be able to do the things, Lord, that you want me to. But God, in your power, I'm here. I'm willing. I'm wanting. I'm available to you. And the same is true with our sin. Not just our schedules, but our sin as well. And I don't want you to miss this. If you think you've got to have it all together to be able to live into that call, that God is calling you to, you're missing out on the point of what God likes to do. You're missing out on the point of what God's been doing with people for a very, very long time. Y'all, we're broken, we're messy. But yet God has done something about that brokenness and that mess. He sent a son, Jesus, to the world to live a perfect life that we could not live, to die the death that we all deserve, hanging on the cross for us. To spill his blood for us that we would have redemption through Christ. But here's the thing, it doesn't just stop there. We're not just forgiven of our sins, but Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. Why? He raised Jesus from the dead to new life. He raises us from our dead and our trespasses to life in Jesus. Jesus said that he came not just to give life, but to give life what? Abundantly. Man. If he can take a man like Moses and do what he did with Moses. We know how Moses' story ends up. He, he walks the Israelites into freedom. He prepares a people to go into the promised land. What an amazing story. And yet he can do the same with our story. With our story. Think about what would have happened if Moses would have literally just said no. He would have missed out on the blessing of God. The story would have been so different. I love that we get to see how Moses' story ends. See, Moses' story is a story of redemption from that feeling disqualified and even being disqualified into one, a story that was written by God and greater than he ever could have imagined. So this morning, the question that I want us to wrestle with as we wrap up here, what's the end of your story going to tell? What's the end of your story going to tell? Are you going to allow God to use you to have his way with the things that you have, your gifting, your ability, the resources that you have, the time that you have? Are you going to let him do the work that only he can do for his glory? Or are we going to continue to walk our own way? I mean, how, what's the end of our story going to tell? See, we all have a story. We all have a story. Everyone has a story. But there's only one story that can redeem each and every story, and that's the story of Jesus. 
And friends, if, if you're at a point this morning that you're going, man, Hunter, this sounds great. I just don't know what to do. Hunter, I just feel so broken. I just, I, I, I don't know. You're telling me something that sounds so good and so true, but are you sure? Friends, if you're wrestling with that, whether you've given your life to Jesus already or not, well, reach out to me. Reach out to any of us here on staff. We'd love to have that conversation with you. I'd love to just sit with a cup of coffee and let's, let's talk. Because I want you to see that God wants to do something in your life to take you to a greater spot than you ever could imagine given whatever circumstance you find yourself in in this life, whatever trial, whatever temptation. God is faithful and that's the point here is that we can trust and obey because he is faithful. Friends, if you can't look back on your own life and see this, and I know some of us have a lot of trouble with that. I just want you to spend some time in this book. See the story countless stories time after time that God is faithful just as he cared about Moses just as he was faithful to Moses he will be faithful and he cares about you he wants to take your story he wants to do something amazing through it whatever your sins whatever your missteps whatever your afflictions whatever your wanderings might be God wants to take and wants to redeem it here's the thing is we're not just people we got to get that out of our mind. We're not just people. That by the power and the grace and the love of God, we can be redeemed and brought into abundant life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this story of Moses. Lord, we thank you for this man who... Uh, even though he fought you time after time with excuse after excuse, Lord, you took and you met him in each and every single one of them. And you showed him, Lord, that you had something greater. Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would move in this room and anyone who can hear my voice right now, Lord, I pray that you would move in us, Lord, and that you would meet us in our excuses. Lord, that you'd meet us in all those ways that we feel like we're disqualified. Lord, even if it's just from following you. Lord, would you bring comfort? Would you bring stillness? Lord, would you bring peace? Lord, a peace that doesn't just be for this moment, but Lord, for a peace that endureth, Lord, in our lives that we know that you are with us and that you are redeeming us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Hmm. Lord, do something with it this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response. It's one of my favorite songs right now. And what I want you to do is I want you to sing the words, whether or not you sing. I want you to sing this one. And I want you to sing it to God. Internalize these words. Understand it of what God has done. And that he is the same God who at work in the life of Moses is at work in your life as well today. And as we stand and as we sing, I would love for you to just 
respond to God. You can pray where you're at. You can come down front and kneel at the prayer rails. You can pray up here. You can pray in your house, wherever you might be right now. But this is a time that God has set aside for us to meet with him and he wants to meet with you. So let's stand and let's sing together.